0: Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm Chapter Thirty Seven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we think about the seriousness of the moment and why we are here to worship and give praise, honor, glory, exaltation, and all of all of the other words that our language can afford. We also realize that you are the God of the universe. That you are the God of all creation. That you created all of these things for your glory. And for our use. And possibly the crowning achievement of all of your creation is human beings. Man. Heavenly Father, we ask you now that the few of us who bothered to come to this place of worship today, that you will meet with us in an uncommon way and in a way in which we are unaccustomed to give us the confidence. In this day and hour in which we live. Not only in our own nation, but also in the world in which we live. and We give you all the praise and all the glory as we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. I guess if I asked you to turn to it, I ought to go there myself. I have titled my sermon this morning, my outline, The Lord Shall Laugh. We don't normally think of God laughing. And yet, I believe that as God has created within us all of the emotions and of the behavioral ways that we can express ourselves, those emotions. I believe that I can say this scripturally that laughter is a God-given emotion and the expression of that emotion. God gave it to us. It is a gift from God. And fallen man in his depravity has used every good thing that God has given us and we have perverted that thing in such a degree that God is very displeased with us. To laugh means to audibly express our emotion. There are different types of laughs. There are chuckles. And there are our gut-filled guffaws that we can do and anything and everything in between. We use laughter to reveal many things about us. We use laughter to reveal that we are happy and that we are glad and that to some degree we are rejoicing and giddy. We use laughter to express our pleasure in another person or in the situation wherein that we're in. Often we use laughter because we are nervous. It's a nervous tick that some people have that they laugh, not because it is funny, but because of the nervousness that they are experiencing at the present time. And Then there is that type of laughter which is probably the worst laughter of all, and that is to laugh at someone out of mockery or in, deli- or in derision. Men do that to other men in order to destroy that person's character and reputation, not only with the people in whom they associate and relate with, but also in and of themselves. And as we mentioned this in the Bible class previously, that I have read many times over the past several months and years of the increased numbers of young teenagers and young people who commit suicide, take the lives, their own lives that God has so so bountifully given unto them. And they take their lives because they have been humiliated by someone else due to their laughing mockery and derision. We can also read in scriptures that there is a proper time to laugh. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 1, here's what King Solomon writes. He says, to everything there is a season... That word season means a fixed, appointed period of time. It has a a beginning point, it has a termination point. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven a time to weep and a time to laugh. So it is all right to laugh on occasion as it is appropriately to do so. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I wonder if maybe we ought to go to more funerals than, that we go to than to some of the other functions that we like to spend time with. A time to mourn and a time to dance. By the way, can I qualify that word Dance. Many years ago, I was attending a worship service in a Baptist church in Carson City, Nevada. And the silly woman who described herself as the worship leader prompted a couple of other women to get up and dance and swirl around and carry on while we were singing a particular song. And up and down the aisles they went and swirling around and carrying on. That's not what that means. If you look up the word dance, it means to leap. It means to jump up and down. It means to skip about. The Bible says that whenever the Ark of the Covenant entered into Jerusalem once again that David danced before the Lord. I mean, David was so happy and so giddy about receiving the Ark of the Covenant again that he simply could not contain himself. And so he jumped around and carried on because of the joy and the mirth, the spiritual joy that he had in his worship towards God. The Bible also says that whenever the waves of the Red Sea came crashing down upon the Egyptian army, that Miriam took the women, the Israelite women off into the wilderness by themselves and sang and danced before the Lord because of their happiness... Scriptures usually discourage laughter, though. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon again says, Sorrow, meaning overwhelming grief. Sorrow is better than laughter. By the sadness of the countenance, or by the sadness of the face, the person and the presence in our our innermost self, by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. I do know that in my own experiences that the greatest lessons that have, that have, that have, that have prompted more profit in my life were those lessons that, were, that brought grief and sorrow into my heart and yet God helped me to sail through those things and coming out on the other side stronger in the Lord Faith, great confidence of faith and, and, and anchored upon the rock which is Lord Jesus Christ. May we not confuse laughter with rejoicing. A person who is rejoicing may certainly laugh appropriately so. But laughter is not always the product of rejoicing. In First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul writes, Rejoice, and that means to express exceeding joy. Let it burst out. Rejoice evermore. If anyone has the cause and the reason that should prompt us to rejoice, it is a man or woman, boy or girl, who can look up into heaven with their mind spiritual eye and see their blessed Redeemer Sitting on the right hand of God, interceding for you and for me, regardless of what the circumstances is, you and I have a cause and to rejoice, even in the very worst of circumstances. Can I give you my definition of the word joy? It is the inward spiritual permanent attitude of delight and of well-being and of contentment in God's salvation. And whenever I say in God's salvation, I'm not necessarily talking about the actual experience of that salvation as much as I am talking about the person of salvation. Did you know that the very name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. There's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you and I must be saved. I had the great privilege uh, just a few weeks ago whenever I was in North Carolina and visiting Hillcrest Baptist Church where my, pastor, where my father pastored for 40 years. And we as young teenagers, I was 14, 15, 16, uh, living there in the parsonage. And I remember one time whenever uh, all of us were there at home and and uh, Dad and Mom wanted to make room for some of us who had come home visiting. And so Dad and Mom, they packed up and they went to uh, spend the night with with uh, my mother's mother down uh, up the street. And I was an unsaved person at that time. And I remember visiting home and, and uh, my two brothers... Got me in the in the in the master bedroom there, and I was sitting on the, on the edge of of the bed, and my two brothers all night long witnessed to me concerning my soul's salvation and of my journey towards where I was going, and it was not pretty. They told me about a blessed Savior and a blessed Redeemer of whom I had heard about all my life. But at that point I had, I had scoffed away as useless in my life. It wasn't for me. And yet because of Holy Spirit conviction, they, they laid out to me of salvation through Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And under my conviction, there, seated on the edge on the foot of that bed, I bowed my head. I begged for, for, for privacy and begged my brothers to leave the room. And there all by myself, with Jehovah God in the room, and the Holy Spirit working with me. I begged God to have mercy upon someone as undeserving as I was. And at 4 o'clock in the morning on April the 1st, 1974, God Almighty saved me because of what Jesus Christ had done for me on Calvary's cross. So joy is a state of spirituality rather than of human, human emotion or feeling. God gifts joy. Why is it that you as a Christian have the, have the spiritual joy welling up within your lives regardless of what's going on? It's because that God gives joy to His people as a fruit of the Spirit. You can go to Romans chapter 14 and read how that God gives us joy because that is the fruit of the, of the indwelling Holy Spirit that, that, that lives within us. Joy permits Christians to persevere. I mentioned earlier this morning that I rarely watch the news anymore because the, the news just, just just puts a pall upon me that I, I simply cannot come out from under it of my own power. And yet joy, the Christian joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to persevere and endure even whenever I see what's going on in my world this morning i i I read a newspaper article uh i'm sorry uh, a headline this morning from uh, one of the news websites, and someone was interviewing a a ninety plus year old World War II veteran and this veteran was lamenting the fact that the state and who we are today in the American States is not what he fought for. In World War II. And I think about that myself. My wife and I put in 44 years between us in the military, and from what I can see, she and I should have just stayed at home for what, well, what good it did for us. And we make jokes about kneeling while we're singing the national anthem, and in all honesty, that's a reality. I have never seen a generation of folks that are so unappreciative of what God has given unto us that our nation is the last bastion of freedom that we have not only of religion and of speech and of person and we're throwing it away And yet through all of that, joy gives us the ability to persevere and endure. Christians rejoice while waiting for our blessed hope. I like to think about that blessed hope as not a future experience where the Lord Jesus Christ will come back and change our vile bodies into a body like His, where we shall go and meet the Lord and be forever with the Lord in the air. That is a blessed hope. But I like to think that that blessed hope is not the experience of that, but my blessed hope is the person of Lord Jesus Christ who is coming for me. By the way, whenever you read about the believer's hope in the Bible, do not apply secular definitions to that word. Whenever whenever I think about hope in the worldly sense and in the secular sense, I think about something that I want to achieve. It's something that I really want really bad. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to manipulate myself, my time and my resources and all that I have. And I'm going to manipulate them and influence them hoping... That I may get that which I want, but in the back of my mind I know that there's also also the possibility it won't happen. That is not the hope of the believer. But if the hope of the believer is not something, is not a subjunctive hope that may or may not happen. The hope of the believer is that which is guaranteed to happen. Christians rejoice while waiting for our blessed hope, God's deliverance, and our ultimate salvation. Joy is spiritual elation even in the harshest of circumstances. I like to read Acts chapter 5 and verse number 41. There was a time when the apostles were preaching Lord Jesus Christ and the Sanhedrin didn't like that so much. And so they, they captured and arrested the apostles and they took them off into a dungeon somewhere and beat the pudding out of them. And here they are, they released them and they, and they said, we're going to release you, but don't you dare preaching this name again. And the apostle said, you know, you can tell us whatever you want to do, but we're going to do what, what God tells us to do and what our Lord Jesus Christ has told us to do. And on their way back, here is what the Bible says. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. And here they are, blood still running down their backs as the scabs break open and bleed again. And the clothing that they're wearing is saturated with wet and dried blood. And they're trying to contain themselves because of the soreness and of the pain that they're still enduring. And yet the Bible doesn't speak of that. It doesn't mention it. It avoids bringing it up. But what does it bring up instead? That they rejoiced that they were counted worthy. They looked up into the very, into the very face of Jehovah God and they said, God, you have determined that we are worthy to suffer in for your name and for your cause and for the sake of the gospel. That is Christian rejoicing. The Old Testament translates the word laugh from the Hebrew verb, sococ. Thirty-six times we see words like laughter, and laughing, and laughed, and laugheth in the Old Testament. Many times, sometimes, it is used positively. Can I give you an example? In Proverbs chapter 17, the proverb says, "...a merry heart." I looked that word "merry" up this morning in, in, uh, in my Hebrew dictionary. That word "merry" means a rejoicing heart, a heart that is full of gladness, a heart that cannot contain itself. It is a heart that has to express itself. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So, I'm wondering if maybe Jehovah God has given us the ability to laugh in, in, in spiritual rejoicing that will heal our bodies and our souls and our spirits and our minds. I, I read a good portion of Fox's Book of Martyrs yesterday. We don't deserve to stand in the shadows of some of those folks. I, I I I I blush at who and what I am in comparison to these people. Many of them are walking to the stake or walking to the guillotine or walking to the pit where they shall be stoned, and they're rejoicing, they're praying they're singing songs. And I don't have that type of grace this morning because I'm not in that condition. And I'm not being led around by a chain. But I do know the same God that sustained Paul and Peter, and the same God that sustained Stephen, and the same God that sustained all of the others, that we read about in the the epistle to the Hebrews, there in chapter number 11. The same God that gave them the grace to endure what they endured with rejoicing and joy and laughter and happiness is also the same God that will enable me whenever that time comes. Scriptures never record that God or Christ ever laughed. I looked it up. I spent a great deal of time trying to find a place where God laughed, or where Jesus Christ laughed. Surely, surely, if God created that behavior to express that emotion, and and surely if it is a good thing, because we've already read that there is a time for laughter, and so if, if, we have, if God has given us that ability, then surely the creator of that ability is recorded in God's precious and holy word that He left. I can't find it. I've often wondered, whenever I am in my mind's spiritual eye, I'm, I'm walking shoulder to shoulder with Peter and James and John and Andrew. And yeah, I'm, I'm usually holding hands with Doubting Thomas because I'm there. And I've often wondered about the times where, where they had such close, intimate fellowships with one another and talked and conversed as, as, as brothers would talk and converse in that intimate, familial, spiritual, familial relationship. Remember the time whenever the Lord says, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers, and who are my sisters? And He wasn't referring to His earthly mother, nor His earthly brothers and sisters. No, He was referring to those who fellowshiped with Him, and who loved Him, and who bowed down... Obecently to Him because they saw Him as Lord and Savior. They were His mother and brothers and sisters. And I can see our Lord as they are traveling around on those old, hot and dusty roads. And they're all conversing with one another. I wonder if maybe once in a while something humorous would happen and that even maybe our Lord might have chuckled or might have laughed in, in an appropriate sort of way. Scriptures never say that. In fact, we can go over into is Isaiah chapter 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So I don't want to go too far with that. But I also remember the time whenever our Lord is sitting in the marketplace and all the children are playing, and, and they brought a child into Him to, to, to bless that child. And, and, and I can see our Lord running His fingers through that child's hair. And, and possibly looking at the humorous antics of children in play. That, that he might have chuckled or might have laughed appropriately in those situations. But the Bible does not give us those instances because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. May I say this? The day will come when Jehovah God will laugh. And scriptures say so. Can we read? Psalm chapter 37. Let's start with verse number 7. Rest in the Lord. That word rest means to literally be silent and still. There's another verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. I look at what's going on in our nation today and I'm thinking, and and I'm beside myself. I want to do something. And I know that I can't because I am so small and insignificant and I don't matter. And God says, Phil, shut up. Be still. And know that I'm God. And wait patiently. I love verbs. In Scripture, particularly, and a lot of times, whenever I'm in, in, I, I highlight them somehow. I circle them, underline them, or do something with them. I put a put an exclamation part in, mark in 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 the margin of my Bible because there's something there that is impactful. And verbs do that to me. Rest is a verb. Wait patiently is a verb. Fret not is a verb. By the way, they are all imperative. Verbs, you know what that means? They require obedience. Fret not, meaning do not burn with anger. If you burn with anger, you you don't have spiritual joy. Because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked devices, that means malicious thoughts and intents. There is a verse in the Bible that says, a man cannot sleep unless he's devised some sort of wickedness. Alright, what, what can I do tomorrow that will upset the apple cart? Valicious thoughts and, and, and intents. To pass bring, brings wicked thoughts and in instances uh, to pass. What literally that means to accomplish all his evil intentions, especially against you. Because tomorrow morning at work they know that you're a Christian. And they know that, that you have witnessed to them in the past, and they hate you for it. They may smile while they're doing it, but they hate you for it. You're not going to point out to somebody that he's a sinner and needs a Savior without, getting, without having some animosity toward you. You see that word, Lord, in verse number 7? In the King James Translation, it is in all capital letters. When it is in all capital letters, it is referring to Jehovah God, or Yahweh God, depending on the, on the path and the limb of, of transliteration. The word Lord means the eternal self Existent one. You and I, we had a beginning. You and I are going to have an end as far as physical life is concerned, earthly life. God has never known birth. I don't remember the day that I was born because I don't remember it. I'm incapable of remembering it. Sadly, I don't remember most of yesterday. Yet God is the eternal self-existent one. Look in verse number 8. Cease, there's another verb. Cease from anger, meaning to abandon anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Let's look at some words here. First of all, we have anger and we have wrath. Anger is that constant simmering of displeasure. I'm angry about a lot of things. A lot of time I'm angry about I know I can't I know I can't do anything about him and so I, I try to revert that attention to spiritual joy and rejoicing and gladness Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 he said be ye angry and sin not so there are times when we can be angry without sinning I think it's called righteous indignation let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That word angry and the word wrath are two different words. They're from the same Greek root, but they're two different words. There is a difference between anger, which is that simmering malcontentedness uh emotion, and wrath, which is now, now I'm agitated. Now I'm now I'm really mad. Now I'm, I'm, I'm physically showing that. And then there is that thumos wrath. That thumos wrath can go from just anger to really mad and to thumos wrath which turns into an explosive, aggressive violence against another. And that is exactly why... The Apostle Paul says, Be angry and sin not. Don't, don't, don't dwell on that thing. As soon as that sun goes down, that wrath better go down as well. Not so with God. See, God never sins. God is always righteous in any emotion that He has, regardless of what it is. And one day, our God is going to explode in aggressive outward violence. Against his enemies. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe that's not a God that I want to serve. Well, you have that attitude all you want to. Jehovah God makes the rules. Look in verse number 9. For evil doer... Oh, I need to say this. Fret not thyself in any wise do evil. That expression to do evil means, you know, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God says, you better not... Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, I don't think there's anything that my, my, my depraved mind can conjure up that would be anywhere near the level of vengeance and revenge that our God has in store for your enemies. So be still, shut up, sit down, and let God be in control. For evildoers shall be cut off, see that? God says, they're going to come, let them alone, let them alone, let them go on. They shall be cut off. That means removed and destroyed. But, I love little words. Especially little words in in Scripture. That word, but, you just simply cannot, cannot appreciate the ramifications and the impact that that word means. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while. But God, it's been going on for so long. I mean, I'm 70 years old and we haven't gotten better. We've only gotten worse. When are you going to step in? God says, wait a little while. Wait a little while. Because because my perspective of time is not the same that God shares in the perspective of time. Time doesn't manipulate God like it does for me. Man alive, I'm telling you, I, I see things going on. How long can this go on? You know who else asked that question? In 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 uh, Revelation chapter six, the Bible speaks of a a group of martyrs whose souls are under that heavenly altar. The reason why they're there is because they, they were martyred for the cause of Christ and for their witness while on earth. And why they are under the altar, I, I, I want God to explain some things to me one of these days. And He will. We'll have a more perfect understanding. They're there under the altar. And they, and, and they know what's going on upon the earth. And here's what they ask How long, how long, O Lord, holy and true? Lord, you say that you're going to avenge us. Lord, you are the Holy One, and you're the true one, so why are you letting this continue on as it is? How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge? Why are you holding back? Do you not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the earth? Those that dwell upon the earth took our lives for the cause of Christ. And they're still there and they're still prospering. How long, O Lord, are you going to let them go on in that way? And God says, shut up. Sit down. He says up there in verse number 7, rest. And wait patiently in the Lord. Can we go on to verse number 11? But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves. I would imagine that that is another way of expressing rejoicing, possibly even appropriate laughter in certain. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plot against the just and gnashes. They hate you so much that they grind their teeth. Now they may not show that to you personally, but they hate you. They hated me. As the Lord said, they're also going to hate you. They persecuted me. Guess what? They're going to persecute you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Upon him with his teeth, The Lord, now, this word Lord in verse number 13 is a different Hebrew word from Jehovah or Yahweh up in verse number 7. Here the word Lord, by the way, it is just as important. Because not only is God Jehovah, the self-existent one, but Jehovah is also Adonai. The Old Testament Adonai He is, the New Testament equivalent to that is Kurios, Lord. A Lord is a sovereign ruler who owns, possesses, and controls all people, things, as well as all creation, and He rules by decree. Jehovah God is Lord, Yahweh. But He is also... Lord Adonai, and the very thoughts in God's mind as Adonai come to fruition into reality in this world. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is approaching. I love that, that, that expression, his day. I, 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 I don't know what that means. Uh, his, his day could, could, could mean that uh, it's talking about the day that the wicked will perish. That is the wicked's day, the day that belongs to the wicked when they shall perish. But I also like to think that it is the day of the Lord. It is the day somewhere in the future where Jehovah God says, Okay, that is the date. It is my day. It's my day. Whenever I'm going to come. I'm going to put people in their places and I'm going to revenge the world over the world for the way that they have treated my son and my people. Look in verse uh, number 13, for he sees that his day is coming. It isn't here yet. Yeah, there's a verse in the Bible that that scoffers will say, well, really, because you keep saying that the Lord is coming back, but He's never come back. I mean, the person who said that was Jesus back in uh, uh, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, He still hasn't come back, so therefore, He's not coming back. Well, a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is one day. God doesn't look at time like we do. Bible says, "Is coming, is is coming." Look in verse number 14, "The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to, and to slay much as of the upright. Con, uh, to slay such as be of upright conversation. That simply means the manner of way that you and I live our lives. The sword shall enter into their own hearts, and their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall break. The uninspired title that you probably have in your Bibles over Psalm 37 reads this, a Psalm of David. I have read uh, the book of Psalms many times, and I like to attach my own titles to these Psalms. Here is my title. By the way, it also is uninspired. But here's what it says. The Lord shall avenge the wicked and preserve the righteous. Now, where did I come up with that idea? Because it says so in chapter 37. In no uncertain terms. The psalm instructs us against retaliating against the persecutor. God says, you take it. And if need be, you turn the other cheek. Uh, There is a verse in the Bible that says, As much as within your power, Live peaceably with all men. So you stand back, you behave yourself, because one day God says, I, I, "I'll step in, I'll, I'll fix this. I promise you." And I'm, and I'm also going to tell you that anything that you can think up in your own mind won't come anywhere close to what I have in store for these folk. God promises one day He will take pleasure in mocking with hot lava laughter and will hold them in hot derision. Because He says so in that verse, number 13, The Lord shall laugh at him, for He sees that His day is coming. Most often, laughter is inappropriate. We we simply do not laugh appropriate. I have read, and it's been a while, and I wish that I knew the Lord was going to impress me with the thought I would have looked it up again. But I, I have read that whenever King James assembled all of the translators who would translate and come up with what we now know as the King James translation, that there was more than a couple of those translators who were so serious about who they were and about the Christian life, that it was absolutely prohibited to laugh in their presence. Most of the time we, we laugh inappropriately. The rich laugh in his godless luxuries, does he not? Our Lord said this in Luke, chapter, in Luke chapter 6. He says, Woe unto you that laugh now. Always mark the person who laughs now? Why are they laughing? By the way, who are they that are doing the laughing? And what is the purpose behind their laughing? And in particularly, if they are laughing inappropriately because of the way you stand and of what you believe as, as, it, is, as, it, is, as it is here. The Bible says that one day God will intervene. He says, Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Did you know that even as of right now, hell, the place of torment, where the formerly rich man is still there by the way, who is now in torment, that in that awful place there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You cut all the lights out and you sit in the dark and there is nothing there to distract you except your own thoughts. And and think about such sinister comments as that which comes from the lips and the mouth of Lord Jesus Christ. Godless, The godless laugh at the saints who depend upon God. Job says, I am one mocked of my neighbor who calls upon God and he answers him your enemies will make fun of you because you say, you know, I trust in God. I'm going to ask God, and if it's God's will, God's going to deliver me from this. They're going to laugh at you for that. You know how I know? Can I give you some examples? Back whenever Jesse Ventura was a governor of Minnesota, here's what he says. I quote, Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. Who needs strength in numbers. It tells people to go out and stick their noses in other people's business. Here, here's, what, here's the thought that I had. I wonder, this is pure speculation on my part, but I wonder if maybe somebody might have presented the gospel to Jesse Ventura and it so offended him and convicted him, and he didn't like his, re, his inner response to that, and so in order to fight that and see how tough he is, he's going to mock people who believe like you and I do. Can I give you another one? John Lennon said this, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right. We're more popular than Jesus now. Not too long after that, he wrote a song called Imagine. And the lyric goes like this. Imagine. That's an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, let's just do away with reality. Let's imagine. What's in my mind that I imagine, that is reality. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. And where John Lennon is right now, there's not even heaven above him. John Lennon has learned firsthand that there is a hell. You just can't imagine some things away. On December the 8th, 1980, an assassin came out from the shadows and shot John Lennon four times and dispatched him to his eternal reward. Can I give you another one? Here's what Ted Turner said some years ago. Christianity is a religion for losers. Christ died on the cross, but He needn't have bothered. I don't want anybody to die for me. I've had a few drinks and a few girlfriends, and if that's going to put me in hell, well then so be it. One of the the most creepiest things I remember another person saying was, I don't care if I go to heaven or to hell, because I have friends in both places. The formerly rich man who found himself in torments found out he didn't have any friends. He found out he was all alone. And, not, and in that situation, he begged Father Abraham to send Lazarus that he may speak to my five brothers so that they won't come here to this awful place. Can I give you one more? Barack Obama said this during his presidency while he was berating small-town citizens for distrusting government. And by the way, if you want anything to distrust, let's distrust our government in this day and time. Here's what he says. You go into some of these small towns in Pennsylvania, and like a lot of small towns in the Midwest, the jobs have been gone now for 25 years, and nothing's replaced them. It's not surprising, then, that they get bitter. They cling to guns or religion. And thank God that at least at, for the present time we are able to still have the liberty to cling to both if we want to. The godless laugh at God. The scornful laugh at God Almighty and of God incarnate, Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the time whenever Lord Jesus Christ went, to the, went to the, to, to the, into the dead girl's room? And says, she's not dead, she only sleeps. And the Bible says that they left him to scorn. Now, let's be careful with that because <clears throat> they, they did not have a precedence for that like you and I do. If you and I left, left Jesus Christ to scorn because of something that we determine is silly to us, as recorded in God's presence and Holy Word, then uh, we, we are more at fault... We are more guilty than those folks were. So let's not be too harsh upon those folks. We have God's precious and holy word and they had nothing but the Old Testament back then. So let's be careful about what you and I laugh about. Christ's crucifiers laughed at him during his crucifixion. If we can go back to Psalm chapter 22, we can read this prophecy from David's own pen of, of Christ's crucifixion. And here is the messianic prophecy regarding him. And he says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. We don't necessarily read about that in those, in, in those particular words in, in, in the gospels uh, uh, that has to do with Christ's crucifixion. But I'll guarantee you that there was a lot of that going on. Laughing often masks the torments that the ungodly actually have within themselves. I like what Proverbs chapter 14 says. It says, laughing often, I'm sorry, it says, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. And the end of that mirth is heaviness. So a lot of times the ungodly they laugh at things. Because it makes them feel good in the moment. You and I don't look at things in the moment. Well, we do. But, but our, our, our mirth, our rejoicing, is, is not momentary. It, it is throughout the day. Today and throughout every day. God will have the final laugh over the wicked. We read there in that verse number 13. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees his day is coming, or approaching. We can go over to Psalm chapter 59. Thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Wait. You mean there's another place in the Bible where it says God's going to laugh? Yeah, there is another place. Thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. This is David saying this. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. And we can say, well, David is the one who said that. I can't find anywhere in the following verses where God corrected him on that. The day's going to come when God's going to laugh. Can we not see God sitting on His throne in in the glories of heaven and He's sitting on the edge and He's looking over the precipice and the battlement over into the world and He's just chuckling to Himself at who and what we think we are. And God says, my day's coming. And God says, your day's coming. God will laugh at those that hate God and his Christ. God will laugh at those who replace the living God with a dead idol. God will laugh at those who pervert the gospel in God's Word. God will laugh at those who persecute His people. God will laugh at those who deny His existence. God will laugh at those who remove God's commandments in their prayers. I don't know why, but this morning as I was sitting in my study... I had a thought, and I had to go and find this verse in the Bible, and here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Honestly, I believe that the most perverted people in our American culture today are those who walk the halls of our schools and those who walk the halls of our Congress and those who walk the halls of our Senate. And if there ever was a group of people that are more demonically influenced, today it is our Congress people and our Senators. I would imagine that you can walk into those, those those what we would normally consider as hallowed halls and you can cut the spiritual world with a spiritual sword. Do you not think that that, that Satan has is it time to go? Do you not think that Satan has and interest in what's going on in American politics. I'm done. Here is is my close. The day will come whenever God Almighty will come in the person of Lord Jesus Christ, and He's going to come back in that glorious appearing, what we call the second coming. He's going to come back bodily, visibly, and personally, He will come back. Can we not bank on that? Can we not believe that? Listen, if we can believe that God split the Red Sea, if we can believe that God raised Lazarus from the dead, if we can believe that Jesus Christ Himself resurrected from the tomb, then brother, we can believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And I'm so thankful that I won't have to face God's wrath. Because the Bible says implicitly that He has spared me from the wrath to come. May I say this just as reverently as I possibly can? That God did expend His wrath upon me, but He did it upon the person of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ upon the cross. I can prove that by Scripture. Can I give you two examples? In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says it pleased. That that is an intriguing word. It pleased the Lord Jehovah God to bruise Him. We're not talking about a little bruise that comes up on the skin because we bumped it. No. We're talking about something that is crushed. Back whenever I was in Thailand, working in the hospital there... I was working on the tarmac there on the runway. And during the course of his, while he was asleep, a, a two-ton truck ran over the mid-portion of his body. they rushed this man into the operating room, and I assisted the surgeon during that operation, and and there's no way that I can describe to you what his entrails looked like after a two-ton truck ran over him. That's what it's talking about when it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. His visage was marred more than any other man. He hath put him, Jehovah God hath put him to grief going to give you another one paul says in romans chapter 8 he spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all and here's my last scripture I, I, i don't know what's in your heart maybe this message isn't for the greatest majority of us because we are faithful to the I, I know you, I, I, we, we've, we've conversed with one another, I, I know your hearts, I know that you love Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm not sure that some of this apply, applies to you. But I, a, a preacher should never stand into the pulpit and, and assume that upon all everybody who's, who is in the congregation. Can I give you one more plea that comes from the pen of James in chapter 4? James says this, to the proud, to the haughty, and to those that laugh. He says, be afflicted, meaning grieve over your rebellion, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Heavenly Father, we beg you, dear God, that you will take these words and that you will convict us, show us who and what we are, remove the apathy and remove the unconcern and remove the haughtiness that we have concerning spiritual things.